I've had friends say that to me. Man, if I don't pay back this guy's $4,000, he has threatened to kill me. Too many churches will say, okay, come, let's pray. No, the church needs to come together and give this guy the $4,000 so he can pay off the debt. Because if you just pray with this guy, he'll pray with you. But when he goes back outside, he's in a real world where this guy will kill me. So I'm either selling bricks or I'm killing him first. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to be shocked when he's a murderer or a drug dealer. I don't agree with that. Correct. Because but we did not help his real pain. How you guys doing? Thank you so much for joining us. This is an episode of Unlinear, where we track the unlinear path of our guests from where they began to where they are now. Today, we're actually going to change that up a little bit and have a bit of a different discussion, something that we think is important starting off the year with a new perspective. So in front of me, I actually have someone who's been working with uh, young people and young adults uh, for well over, what would that be? That's almost like two decades now, yeah, almost probably. Three decades. It sounds bad, makes me feel old, but yeah, probably wow. that. So we're, ta we're talking almost 25 years experience dealing with both with youth from different walks of life, but has a unique perspective of having done it through uh, the church system. Yes. Uh, so across from me today, I have Stefan Rock Wright. So you used to be a musician. You spent time as a youth pastor for many years. Uh, now you still work as an associate pastor at your current church uh, as well, working with youth um, in, in that regard, which we won't necessarily get into. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to have a discussion where we frame sort of your expertise, your experience, uh, your time in faith. I think it's, it's been, I mean, for me personally, I, I never worked for a long time in ministry, but I grew up in church. I, yeah. it, it, it is the faith that my, that my mother gave me, as I always say. Um, and I've seen such a shift in terms of when I was young until now. And I, for me, what I'm seeing is that North America used to be a Judeo-Christian based country, or at the very least, even, if, even in its evolutions, mm -hmm. there seemed to have been a remnants of people who thought, well, you know, Judeo-Christian basis has probably still made this country happen. And what we're seeing now is I think a total running away from that. And I think that, you know, we both saw this movie called Book of Clarence that we think gives us, that I, that I think is a linchpin to what's happening from a society perspective. Mm -hmm. So look, for those of you who are watching this, it's going to be a unique type of conversation. If you, if you care about sort of the world that you're in, if you care about uh, the faith that you hold, if you care about uh, public consciousness, public psychology, or if you're interested in just a cool discussion, this is going to be for you as we break down a conversation with Pastor Stefan Rock, right? So how you doing, man? I'm, I'm good. I'm here. Thanks to be, uh, be here on the show. And yep. Looking forward to a healthy conversation. <laughs> as am I, as am I. So just breaking it down, getting into it. I know this story. I have the benefit to know this story. You're a young man in high school. Because I want to paint the picture. of Because, you know, people always think that people who go and come, to, come to faith come there from different positions. You're a young man in high school. Um, if I recall, you, at the time, you knew your father, but you weren't living with him. Yeah. And you were living with your mother at the time. Yes. You're a wrestling specimen. Wrestling was your sport. Yeah. Yes. Now in high school, are you like, you grew up in church, but in high school, are you taking church serious? Was that like, were you the church boy in high school? Um, yeah. So uh, I think just to circle back to a little bit more, just yeah. to understand like, yes, uh, you know, raised a single parent home. Mom, okay. mom raised me, always knew my father. Okay. Just, we didn't have a close relationship. So he was, um, he was one of those like around, but just like yeah. high five. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think the older, from, uh... the older I got, it was more, okay. a little bit more distance. And 
I think it's just the, the ways of life. Not that I hated him. It's just that, you it's know. It's like your first birthday. Do you have a memory of your father? I mean, nobody knows. Is there a picture of your father at oh, your first birthday? Yes, yes, yes. Wow, so, so he, okay, younger, when you say he was always around, because yeah. even I didn't know this. Okay. He was always around. Yeah. It's just that as you got older, he's like, well, it looks like they got it from here. Yeah, it's okay. more of like, <laughs> okay. we started to grow apart. If okay. that makes sense, right? Uh, so uh, I came to like faith in Jesus at uh, the tender age of 11. Mm -hmm. um, didn't really, I kind of knew what that meant. Didn't mm -hmm. really know what that meant. Now looking back, you know, just for understanding discipleship and all that great stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but trying to make it more serious in my high school years and just trying to figure it out on my own. Mm -hmm. I wasn't, you know, carefully discipled by my local church, no knock to that, mm -hmm. but I think that um, that was missing in our church culture. Okay. And so I'm still trying to figure out what it means to, to be a Christian. Right. Uh, I knew, you know, the list of wrong things to stay away from um, yep. and fought against some of the things that were tempting. Yep. Uh, but then also just trying to grow and figure out, okay, what does this mean for me as a believer? Like, okay, yes, I, I accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, yep. repented of sins. Yep. So therefore I'm going to go to heaven. So what does that mean for me now that I'm 14? You know, and so trying to figure wow. that out, that was my navigation. So you you were really, you had this sense of, I don't want to say fit, but you had this sense of it mattering young. Yeah, absolutely. And there's this, not cost and consequence, but there is a sense of I'm investing towards this belief I have. I'm paying the price for what I believe in. Mm -hmm. So you're thinking about abstaining from things and you're thinking about leading into other things. When do you have this calling that you don't just want to, you know, live your faith, but you want to work in faith? Because there's a moment when you decide that you want to go to seminary. Um, that's later on in my young adult years. So I want to say like, uh, so throughout high school, that age, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16, yep. every year I kind of made it kind of a goal to be more godly. I don't know if that sounds really weird, but so it was, okay. it's like, you know, okay. it's like, I want to be better. You know, I just, you know, I, I think that's just, everybody else. I think sure. in every walk of life, even in school, you sure. know, you go from grade, you know, nine to 10 to 11, you're like, no, I want to be better. Yeah. And so being a Christian, I just wanted to be a better Christian. That yeah. was my understanding at that time. Yeah. And so uh, just pushing forth and proceeding um, around my young adult years uh, at our local church, we had what we would call now like a small group, yep. a small group Bible study. It was basically a Bible study that is garnered around talking about the faith, talking about, you know, uh, things that have to do with theology in the Bible. Uh, with like people were my friends. Was this the insane thing? No, no, no. This, this is before, before that. Okay. Yeah. Before and so uh, we're like a young adult group. And at that time, like I was around other young adults mm -hmm. and there, what I saw differently then was there was a group of people who were around my age, a little bit older, mm -hmm. who were really serious. And so it almost okay. became something that I could see myself grasping. I'm like, no, um, it wasn't, you know, the, the church mother or, you know, the, the deacon, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. that's the only godly people. It's like, Hey, somebody who's only two years older than me and mm -hmm. they're, they're serious about the faith. Mm -hmm. Like, so it's something that was palatable. Okay. And so pushing forward towards that, um, uh, through that process, I just became a Bible nerd. Um, I took my Bible seriously. Yep. Um, I actually, for the first time said, you know, what? I'm going to read through this Bible. Like, <laughs> so how old are you when that happens? Uh, around, I say 1920. Okay. Which I still want, I, I think the reason why I like touching on those parts of the story is the, the, for most people, there's that moment that they either decide for church course, mm -hmm. right? I'm going to read it or I'm not. So I think it's interesting that you say, you know, I'm 11 and I'm going to church every day. And I have that same concept where like you're going to church every day. Mm -hmm. The sermons are fantastic. You'll study the sermon part and then you're done. You're good. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> the Bible for the day, or you get your memory verse that your mom will give you, your dad will give you, your cousin will give you, your grandma yeah. will give you, somebody will give you. You read that. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm good for today. Mm -hmm. So I think it's interesting that obviously I, I just kind of like throwing that out there that it, you know, it's a nine year journey before you think and say, hey, I'm going to read this thing, mm -hmm. which I don't know. I think it's that that's one of the unique things about, I think modern Christian faith, the percentages of the amount of people who hold the faith, but they haven't read the book, I think would surprise a lot of people. It's unfortunate. It's true. And part of the reason why I think discussions like this become so important is that a lot of the things that trip, trip 
people up about Christian life. My argument's always been the answers are here. You just didn't read it yet. Could be true. Could be true. But then it's also the pal, like it being palatable. Like yeah. it's, uh, let's take uh, a different scenario. Sure. You know, somebody who's trying to lose weight, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to lose weight. Hey, I know I shouldn't eat cheesecake, but man, this, I know what it tastes like. I know what it makes yeah. me, how it makes me feel. Um, I know I shouldn't, but I'm going to anyway yes. because I'm going off of like my response of just- Emotion. Hey, yeah, um, yeah. I'm allowing my flesh to 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 make the decision. Yep. I'm, go, I'm making my decision based on mood. Yep. Understanding a walk with faith is being able to suppress that or being able to crucify that or being able to understand the work of the Holy Spirit, which is a whole, you know, other yep. conversation yep. of allowing him to uh, help me in times of temptation or in need. Well, I mean, okay, so I, I say to people all the time, and I was talking to people about this even last year, because last year I had a very interesting emotional year. Mm. And I said that my entire young life, so I grew up in church, and my entire young life has been a, a, a lesson on suppression. Okay. So sometimes people would talk to me, like, so for example, there's a story I tell, and I'm going to say the guy's name, Jeff. <laughs> I tell my friend Jeff a story about how I went on strike when I was 26. So strike was, essentially, I, I had been in a dating relationship then I got into another dating relationship and then I went back and forth on the two dating relationships. I don't think I was cheating, but I didn't tell the truth. Okay. <laughs> so when all that blew up, I, I remember just being so gutted by the whole thing that I said, I'm not talking to another woman for the year. I need to build myself up spiritually. Mm. The first month, I remember I already thought I was joking. The second month, I remember I already thought I was joking. The third month, people thought I was crazy. The fourth month, they thought I was lying. And then it just went. But for, for one whole year, I didn't go on a date. I didn't even flirt. Mm. And people who know me, uh, <laughs> That was Jesus. <laughs> right? Must be God. <laughs> and I remember Jeff Howard says, that's insane. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. And the thing I try and tell people, it's not like I didn't feel like I wanted to go out. I didn't, it's not like I didn't feel everything you felt or that anybody would feel. But it goes back to what you're saying. The reading of the scripture, the, 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 the sort of the increased diet of the things of God in that moment made the choice of suppression easier. And as much as, yeah, the strike is an extreme example, but I think that that's what the whole thing is. I think that, I think walking in faith is a battle of suppression because it's not like we don't feel things. And I think people think that we don't feel things. Mm -hmm. I feel everything. Yeah. But it's a, the, the, but the, the choice to suppress is made easier by prayer, by worship, by right. fellowship, right. by study, right. which is why that moment of, hey, I'm 20 and I'm going to read the Bible now, mm -hmm is a critical point, I think, in the tool, in the yeah. accumulation of the tools. Absolutely. Because I think it does help the suppression battle. Right? So I just wanted, you know, nine years in, <laughs> and this is when the pastor decided to read the Bible. So <laughs> no, I, I think just to add some more context, I think for yeah. me, for me making that decision was, again, being around people yeah. who are serious about their faith. Yeah. And I was just kind of just drifting by. Yeah. So here's somebody who's just a couple of years older than me, and they're quoting scripture verses off the top of their head that I didn't even know were in, were in the Bible. So for me, it was like a kick in the pants of, I've had this Bible, you know, I open it up when mm -hmm. I'm told to, or mm -hmm. like when I feel guilty to, mm -hmm. it's another thing where I'm going to be diligent and study through. And mm -hmm. so for me, that was, that was context. So there's this, there's this sort of church Bible study of young adults, mm -hmm. people that are in your age range, taking the scripture serious. So now they be, it goes from this thing that's out in the ether to something that's right in your face. This is a person that I can touch that I know. It leads you to a commitment to read the Bible is it at the end of that commitment that you're still hungry for more and say, okay, let me just go to, like, cause I know you and I don't think you went to seminary wanting to be a pastor. I feel no. like you went, just wanted to learn more. That's exactly for yeah. me. I was just, I was becoming a Bible nerd. Like yeah. I was, I was being serious, even in my, my expressions of faith, like going to church, like I would, 
you know, at that time we're teenagers, we'd sit together. Yeah. Um, I just made a conscious decision. Like I'm going to sit by myself because like when we sit together, we crack jokes, you know, we we're passing notes. It was before the age of texting and yeah, social yeah, media yeah. stuff. Right. So yeah. it's like, no, let me really take this face serious. And I remember sitting at the front row on the corner by myself and I went to the dollar store and bought a notepad and a pen and I'm yeah. like, I'm taking notes and I'm going to learn. And I just started to dig into the truths. And I believe at that time, yeah. um, I didn't realize it, but uh, now looking back, I believe at that time, that's when the Holy Spirit was really working and unlocking some certain things. I don't want yeah. to make it sound like the Bible, some secret, uh, but there's just certain deep truths that just became more interesting to me. Yep. Um, you know, my mom would come home from work and see me like sitting on my bed reading my Bible. Like yeah. that's been her prayer since I was born. Yeah. Um, and here I'm actually doing it not yeah. because I'm being forced to do it. It's because I had a hunger for it. Yep. And so that's where that desire came. And so going into Bible school was just more of a, I actually want to learn a little bit more than just going to church on Sunday. I actually kept it, kept it a secret from everybody. Like literally. Like, wow. um, my first, I, I enrolled in Bible school. Um, my Would first you class. Christian, right? No, no. Uh, it was called uh, World Impact. Okay. World World Impact. And um, my first class was a Monday night. I remember it was a Monday night. I had to go downtown Toronto. Well, not downtown, but like... Uh, DVP. If you're from <laughs> Toronto, you know what I'm saying. The Demon Valley Parkway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, I remember I was just about to leave and uh, mom was just sitting at the kitchen table. I said, hey, mom, uh, I'm leaving. She's like, where are you going? I said, uh, I'm going to Bible school. Bye. And I just left and closed the door. Like literally nobody knew about it. Right. So wow. it was just more of me just wanting to grow in God, but not to, you know, put it on blast. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's how I, I started going in there. So then who taps you on the shoulder? Pastor Morgan or Pastor Gray? Who, who's the one that comes to you and says, hey. Cause you're, cause so you go to, you're going to Bible college cause you're in Bible college when yeah. you start leading youth. Am I correct yes, about this? Yes, yes. You're in Bible college when you start leading youth. Mm -hmm. Your graduation from Bible college is eventually going to lead you to being a youth pastor. Mm -hmm. If I'm right, your youth pastor status comes from Brian Manuel. Am I right about yes, this? Yes, am, I, am, I, yes. am I dead hitting it? Yes. A few things off, but okay, go ahead. A few things Keep off. <laughs> but there is a person yeah. that says, Hey, why don't you lead the youth more specifically? Mm -hmm. Who's that? Trying to remember. I remember there was a group of us that were, were leading youth together. Yep. And because um, I remember I that time, for those who don't know, I was one of his youth. So th this is part of the reason why I know some of the story. Yeah. And I definitely remember a period of time when it felt like all of the 20 somethings are our youth leader. Right. And then there was a day where it's like, okay, all of the 20 somethings are clearly helping Steph be something more than just our youth leader. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So what, like, what was that? Like, I for me, it was just, again, I just had a desire to, to learn and grow. Yeah. Um, and uh, Pastor Brian, you mentioned, uh, he, had, he had come uh, on board with our church and mm -hmm. he just pulled me aside one day and just said, like, I see something in you. Mm -hmm. um, and deep down in my heart, like, I was like, I ain't trying to be no pastor or mm -hmm. pastor or anything like that. But I just had it inside of me for some reason. I, mm -hmm. Hard to explain. Those are followers of Jesus. You know what it is. It's just that, that intuition or you want to say, like, you know, that conviction of the heart. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and he says, I see something more in you. Uh, and uh, I'm looking to have a youth pastor and you're the guy. And I was like sunken. I was like, oh, wow. Mm -hmm. uh, the weird thing about it was that I've never, I, I never sat under a youth pastor. I was never in a youth group with a youth pastor. We had youth leaders and youth committees and all this what stuff. What was and that I, uh, Greg guy? Everyone read about Greg? Greg, or? yeah. Because Greg was our young adult leader at that time. Got Greg, it. right? So uh, he's another uh, influential character in my life because, again, he became more of kind of a mentor figure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, again, somebody who's serious about their faith and mm -hmm. wants to teach mm -hmm. you as a younger person. Mm -hmm, and I think mm -hmm. as young black man without a father who is serious about their faith. Mm. Like when you're around somebody who is not just kind of kind of whip it into you, mm -hmm. but really wants to coach you and encourage you and mm -hmm. speak life into you. Like for me, that, that was a tug on a string. I didn't know that was there. So then it's that full. So when, what, how old are you when you finally get, take this youth pastor opportunity? It's early twenties. So I was young. So you, the Bible, the Bible reading happened in 1920. 
I have to pull up my calculator. See what that <laughs> well, <laughs> the Bible reading happens because I'm pretty yeah. sure. Yeah. So around early I say 24, probably. Yeah. So probably yeah. right there. 24. Yeah, so mid yeah, around early mid 20s. Wow. And because I remember being in Bible school and being the youngest person. Whoa. Yeah. Just younger person. Because most people are going to Bible school after having finished some other sort of. Yeah. Or they feel a call from God, you know, or whatever, and they you know go to Bible school. And I was that was the youngest one. So. 24, you start with, you've, do you still work with youth now? Yes. Shout out to West End. <laughs> and I think a thing that, I mean, so I, I mean, for people who don't know, okay, so every time I give a video and I talk about my spiritual mentor and this is somebody I tell you, this is, this is who this is. So, so much of this is going to be shorthand. I'm trying to play it straight for you guys, but who knows? <laughs> so obviously, so much of my time as a youth leader, it's, it's in modeling your behavior. I go through an extended period of time. I realize that youth ministries. And for me, actually, I think you're, the, we have that conversation. I'm leaving high school and I said, Hey, I want to, I think I want to go to seminary. I think I want to uh, be a youth pastor. And you put me to the side and lovingly say, that's not for me. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> lovingly say, Unless that's you're not serious. Unless you're serious, don't do it, man. <laughs> well, no, I think what, what was true and in all honesty, looking at how my business life has gone, the parts about me that you were right about, you were just very right about that, Like I do love God, but I couldn't do ministry. Uh, because I think it's a different discipline. And at the time, I didn't know that. Um, but as the time as a youth leader, so I was a youth leader in my teens. Then I spent another bit of time being a youth leader in my mid-20s. So uh, like a decade apart. Yeah. I saw a change in the type of people I was dealing with when I was like 17, 18, 19. And then the type of people I was dealing with when I was like 27, 20, 28, 29. And they're with the same like target age. Mm. And, and obviously sprinkling in, like when I say youth leader, it's like I'm bookending these two extremes because I would essentially call my youth leading career from then to then in terms of like adamant doing it regularly. And I saw a huge change over that decade. Mm. What has it been like for you in terms of the type of young people that you're dealing with now versus the type of young people you were dealing with when you started? Uh, I think it also depends on uh, church culture. Like sure. I think that uh, certain church cultures, like they grow up like a family. Uh, so okay. uh, some young people have been there, you know, since they were born, they were born, they were christened or they were dedicated there and they've gone through Sunday school and, yeah. you know, all these little VBSs and adventure camps and things like yep. that. And then coming to youth. Yep. And then there's also just a culture of uh, individuals who just, uh, you know, their parents are, yep. are, you know, come to faith in Jesus. And so now you're kind of being adapted into this new culture. So learning that. Uh, but then also I think that culture itself has changed and evolved. Yeah. Everything from just the evolution of the internet and social media, um, music, um, I think morality, even just in culture and media has you been morality completely, is different. completely different. There was a day and age in the, uh, and this is not even dating far back, like the nineties. Do you remember ever hearing a curse word in a commercial? to now yeah, okay. being able to, to, right? So morality has changed it. And, and so, so I think my, my counter different. to that, which is interesting. We'll see, we're already getting ready to go. <laughs> my counter to the concept that morality changes. I think that the expressions of morality. Expression, okay, I'll take that. Expression of morality Because changes, I always yes. have a hard time explaining, to, if people say that now it's ridiculous. Yeah, that's not People true. always have a hard time explaining to me how they came up with Woodstock. Right. Why don't we go to this guy's farm in the middle of nowhere with a bunch of drugs, <laughs> a bunch of guys, let's just see what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was in, what, what's Woodstock, the 70s? Am I right about Woodstock in the 70s? 70s, yeah. 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 So, man, dude, yeah. Yeah, come on, no, you know? So, no, expressions. The expressions I, I agree, of religion. <clears throat> but I agree with you mm -hmm. that, that those expressions, though they were powerful, because I did want, it, I did want people, like, okay, 
I remember how, how, how sheltered my upbringing was insofar as there were certain things that were just real life that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. And I, yes, I did have the family structure. It was sure it was fine, but it is helpful to help a child understand this world might not be as idyllic as this home is or Absolutely. as this church is or Absolutely. as wherever this place is. Facts. Because what I didn't have a sensitivity for when I was younger that I do now is that there are some kids in my class that were not kids anymore. Mm-hmm. Because when you turn a child, when you give a child an adult problem, it's over. You can't put them back. That's right. And there were some kids, they didn't have the benefit of the kid life that I had. They were living adult lives. And I don't know how much burden or whatever, but I do think that there is, a, there is an argument to be made that, yeah, sure, your seven-year-old might be sheltered. But if you're sending him to public school or even private school, you got to equip them to still be a friend, right. a counselor, a, a, a buddy to the seven-year-old in their class that's a grown man today. And instead, I think what happened is it put us apart because the seven-year-old who's not a kid, who's not a kid anymore looks at me and says, maybe compassionately, nah, he, he doesn't know, I'm going to save it. Like I, a lot of you say, oh, Trevor, I don't know nothing, you know? <laughs> All the time. Did it too. And they, would, and they did that level of protection. <clears throat> and that's great. It preserved, and, uh, you know, I'm thankful to them almost because it helped me preserve me being me. But the, the reverse could have also been true. Whereas if I was equipped enough, I could have known and said, okay, yeah, but he at seven, there's a way that we could stay friends going through this. Mm-hmm. And then who knows how that helps us at 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. So I, I only say that to say that this changes of morality in the public conversation, I think could have been more helpful mm-hmm. if, if it was targeted more. Yeah, criticism point number one. We're, hey, <laughs> church, it's, I love y'all, but here we go. But honestly, like, come with it. I don't know that the church zigged or evolved with the times as much as it should have considering Facts. the position the church wants to take. Facts. And that's still an issue today. Huge issue. I remember the first time, the first time somebody told me about a black Hebrew Israelite, I was in college. Mm-hmm. So I'm in and I'd been in church my entire life. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that happened. It's a And I didn't that, go to a church that didn't have black people. Right. I think conversations are not had in certain circles too, right? So I think, again, going back to culture expressions, um, we're in the GTA. We don't see a lot of that. Sure. If we were in South Philly or if we were in, you know, the, the, the middle of Atlanta, yeah. we would know that because oh. they'd, be, they'd be around, right? And so I agree with you, but then I think about like my, my diet when I was a kid, I had a steady diet of the Wado radio show. I don't even know if that's still the thing. I had a steady diet of the Wado radio <laughs> <Wado>. show, <laughs> which means that I was listening to a whole lot of Corey Red and Precise. I was listening to Lecrae in his early days. Yeah. I was listening to R. Swift. Yeah. Um, I was listening to Young Joshua. Young Josh. <laughs> and these guys didn't openly talk about their run-ins with the 5% nation or with the black people. Like they didn't do that. I, I think that just to push back, I think that they did, but the expressions of media are completely different. Okay. Media right now, are podcasts where you can actually get into the lives of artists. Um, okay. I think before we just had the album and then whatever we heard, we heard. Um, okay. Because if you go back to cross move for days, you'll, you'll see that a lot of their debates and the reason why they became who they were yeah. and why they evolved as they, they saw, you know, going on record as, as ministry, as yeah. opposed to just being an artist. Yeah. It's because of that. Um, and that's why they were very knowledgeable about their faith because of, again, their culture expression where they were. Right. They couldn't just abide by, you know, reading a memory verse, memorizing it and go to VBS every summer. Right. Cause um, they would get eaten up in those. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. they were, they were, they were taught, trained and discipled um, to not only live life, but also stand up for the faith. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. Then I, I take that point Yeah. because you're not wrong mm-hmm. in terms of, I think because you were a Bible nerd, there's so much of that, that, that was just imprinted on me mm-hmm. that I loved and, but I, I'm a nerd in its own right. And I have this addictive personality where anything I read, 
I'm downloading and I love learning new skills. Yeah. So it was exciting for me to learn these new, po- I called it these new pockets of Bible stories that weren't like the popular ones. Yes. Yeah. I used to love those. Yeah. Like, you know, like, well, have you heard, you know, that? like I remember when you told me the story of Ali Azar, I love that. You know, I prefer that to people now, like, you know, those are that church guys like, well, have you heard of Ali Azar? And, you know? Um, and, and nobody, nobody, nobody clues in. But I think that brings us to a, a change in social commentary that we're living in today. So both of us decided to watch. Now, th- it was on my call. Mm-hmm. Last year, I saw a trailer for a movie called The Book of Clarence. Mm-hmm. James Samuels is directing The Book of Clarence. Now, just to give people an in, James Samuels directed a movie called The Heart of a Fall. It came out on Netflix where he reimagined the Western. Yes. So he shot a Western movie, and it was, all, it was almost an entirely black cast. I say almost an entirely because I can't totally recall if there were people of non-color in the film, and I don't mm-hmm. want to misrepresent. Right. But it was almost entirely a black cast, and he, he essentially reappropriated true historical figures that were in the old West, but he took total artistic and creative licensing to rejig the story in a new way. I loved that movie. The soundtrack was done by Jay-Z. His directing style reminded me so much of Quentin Tarantino doing something absolutely new and fanatical. James Samuels is an Englishman who's kind of been around these spaces for a long time. So I was a kind of a fan of his work. And I remember thinking, I remember even thinking when the heart of a fall came out, if this was directed by Quentin Tarantino, it'd get an Oscar nod, but it's just this guy's first movie. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so I was, always, I was always ready for what his next film was going to be. I didn't quite know how audacious he would be. James Samuels decided to direct the book of Clarence starring Lakeith Stanfield, who I find one of the more interesting actors uh, going on today. And the book of Clarence in its first trailer, in the teaser trailer drops the gauntlet. Yeah. The book of Clarence is about a guy named Clarence who's in 33 AD, uh, which is essentially the time and year in which Jesus dies, who sees Jesus and sees that people are donating money to Jesus and says, if I'm a Messiah, I can get money. Mm -hmm. That is the trailer. The film obviously breaks down his motivations, whatever it gives me. But the trailer is breaking down, yeah, there's this kind of clearance who's going to fake himself to be a Messiah. Over this incredibly new rendition of Prince's I Would Die For You. So the trailer's banging. I can't <laughs> lie. The trailer's banging. Now, I looked at every single one of the comments. Blasphemy. Yeah. Uh, how could he? It's... Uh, uh, I'm not even watching this. Da, 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 da. Bunch of negativity. Yeah. Then a month before the movie comes out, a, tra- a, new, a different trailer comes out that fleshes out the idea a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Where you, you see a bit more of the Jesus that James has in, it, in the film. Mm-hmm. So in the first trailer, you didn't really see the Jesus. Mm-hmm. You thought it was just kind of an adjacent character. Mm-hmm. In the second trailer, you see that Jesus is actually going to probably show up in the movie a little bit. Yeah. I'll hit the comments again. A bit softer because it's not as aggressive. Not going to watch this, blah, blah, blah. But I, in my heart, thought, you know what, man? Let me take a look. So I watched the Book of Clarence. And then the conversation around the Book of Clarence was surprising to me. Mm -hmm. So then I thought, okay, let me get Steph to watch this. And then we could have a discussion. Because for me, the Book of Clarence touches on concepts of how much artistic license can you take with, how much artistic license are you allowed to take with the Bible? Mm -hmm. What, if you're a non-believer, because they, they're not going to hold it as sacred. Exactly. Understanding that, how much responsibility is it on Christians to, to understand this content, to then comment on it in a proper way? Mm-hmm. Third is, how much appetite is there for this content? It's a $40 million budget movie that has yet to make $5 million. Surprising. And as of taping today, it's been out for two weeks. So it's dead in the water, yeah. worse than yeah. dead in the water. Yeah. What does that then say about our society? Because he had a great opening film. Everybody loved The Heart of They Fall. Mm-hmm. Or at least in terms of it was part of the conversation. And with all these little threads that were just in my mind, I thought, 
what better what better person to to to, to justice on these things than yourself? So I call you one night and I say, go watch the heart of the, go, go watch uh, the book of Clarence. Now describe to me your experience both in and taking in the film, what your thoughts were, kind of where you went after the fact, and, and then we'll we'll, we'll go. Okay, well, okay. So when you when you called me to go watch it, I was like, yeah, sure. Um, mainly because you said uh, to go watch it. Normally, I wouldn't go out to see a movie like that. Um, movies are more entertaining or you know social for me and the wife and stuff. So um, I wouldn't have chose that for date night. <laughs> so I went alone anyway. Uh, so I went in blind uh, because I never really paid attention to any trailer trailers. And so I just heard of, you know, some of the comments that you've made, sure. that you made, you know, blasphemous, you know, they're just trying to make Jesus black. And, sure. you know, it, again, it's just, it's noise. It's sure. internet noise. Sure. Uh, so went in, um, I guess I had a perspective that this was a, a, a Jesus film with, you know, certain renditions. Sure. Uh, so watching it, uh, it's broken up in three acts. The first two acts, I was like, I was kind of intrigued. There's a few things I'm like, okay, you're going to get, you got this wrong. You got this wrong. Again, the Bible nerd in me is like, you know, <laughs> trying to align you with scripture. Yep. Um, so it was very interesting story. But when we got to the third, by the time we got to the third act, I was like, okay, I think that there's a, there's a message here. Yeah. Um, I'm missing the message because yeah. this is not the message of the Messiah. It's not the message. It's not the message that you know. It's not God. the message of the Bible. Like, right. It, right? And so um, I can see why it's getting flack. And then, the, the way it ended for me, I don't know if we're giving spoilers, but the way it ended, I was like, okay, so what was the whole point? Spoiler so alert for the book of Clarence. Are you talking about the light bulb moment? Are you yeah, about, okay. a few of those, but yeah, specifically light bulb moment, right? So, so, okay, so we'll just do it. Spoiler alerts for the book of Clarence. Yes. We encourage you to watch it, but considering the film has only made $5 million, you're probably not going to watch it. <laughs> so just enjoy the conversation. But we're going to talk, we have to, to have this debate, we kind of have to talk about the movie. Yeah. All right, right. Cool. Yeah, so uh, I think that uh, walking into it, like I walking in, I was blind. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I thought it was cool. Like I think at the end of it, it was like kind of cool because it's like, hey, you're you're seeing a perspective of biblical times that's not a biblical story or mm-hmm. biblical commentary. It's almost like a side quest. Mm-hmm. Um, and so obviously, there's you know recreations. Uh, there's a lot of things that feel like. I don't want to say feel like home. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, this feels like North America. Like, North American issues um, are clearly displayed mm-hmm. in ancient Israel mm-hmm. in the middle of Jerusalem during Jesus' day. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, okay, maybe if I was not a follower of Christ, I can kind of connect with this. But it's not connecting with the commentary of the Bible. So that's what I was wrestling with. So I left the movie saying, you know what? That I wasn't really a big fan of it. Sure. Um, the overall story, um, now having, you know, conversations out of it, like you yep. going home and explaining to the wife and stuff and starting to look into, you know, uh, the reasonings why uh, James Samuels um, kind of wrote and directed the way he did. I'm like, okay, I think I understand his bigger picture. Yep. Uh, however, it's going to rub Christians. If you go to watch a movie and you think it's a Jesus movie, it's not a Jesus movie. If you go into watching this movie just to see an artistic expression, yep. you'll applaud it. But I think the blasphemy, the blasphemy topic is always going to be there just because you have somebody depicting Jesus Christ. Right. Do you think that James fairly depicts Jesus Christ in his film? Fairly? Accurately? No. Fairly. fairly. I know. I use the words for exactly. fairly. Because we're calling it blasphemy. So I would say fairly. I would say fairly, but I wouldn't say ac- biblically accurately. I think he fairly depicts Jesus. Fairly, yes. Okay. James Samuels is trying to make a bold proclamation that black people exist in these stories. Yes, clearly. That, that's, and that's probably going to be the subline of anything he makes. Yeah. Do you think he fairly approached that version of the topic? 
creatively or fairly? Well, creatively, because he made, yeah. I mean, he made John the Baptist like exactly. Nubian black. Yeah, it's yeah. played by David Oyelowo. <laughs> John the Baptist was not Nubian, David Oyelowo black. We had a lot of linguistics, uh, you know, we had, we had like a, a British black person and then we had an African black person <laughs> and then we had an American black. So <laughs> you're like, all right, there's a, there's a, yep. a mixed bag here and there. Yep. But yes, did he fairly? Yes, he fairly did. Okay. Do you think he fair, okay, because this is, this is where the thing is where people say that this movie had no right to be made. And I, I rage against that entirely. Here's the thing that I, okay, so for me as a, for me as a believer, in terms of what I've loved, the, the very first thing when I got to college that I took was a class called Christianity in Context. Because what I had realized is that all of my belief on faith had exclusively come from reading the Bible. And I found that very limiting. The thing that has actually helped my faith is in the thing when I read other materials, other items, other thoughts, mm -hmm. and they indirectly just reaffirm my belief. Because mm -hmm. I, I think that if God is true, he's left patterns all, all through the world. Mm -hmm. And regardless of the criticisms, and I've always said this, the successful criticisms people have registered against the Bible are because I don't think they understand what the Bible is trying to be. Correct. That's my that is my personal hermeneutic. I'm not saying anyone. So when people come to me with like, Okay, I'm not going to get into it, but <laughs> I think that the Bible is there to do a very specific thing, uh -huh. and I think it does that thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that when people ask the Bible to do something that it is not supposed to do, mm -hmm. then yes, you will successfully have a criticism of the Bible. Because yeah. it was not designed to do what you want it to do. Exactly. So like the time argument, the, the create. I don't think the Bible is there to be a science novel. Mm -hmm. Is it, they're commenting on these things? Of course. But I think it is, it is doing what it needs to do specifically. Okay. Mm -hmm. But my greatest joy is when the patterns of what I think the Bible is supposed to do in terms of its commentary about life, in terms of, the, in terms of its concepts of how repetitive the problems of life can be, uh -huh. that the rules yeah. of this life that we live are so preset and so anticipatory right. that they exist in this book, uh -huh. that I think that a movie like the Book of Clarence only augments that. Uh -huh. Because Clarence's motivations for doing what he does. So Clarence does pretend to be a Messiah. Yeah. He does collect money. Yeah. I don't think are any different than the motivations yeah. of the modern man. Clarence likes a woman and he needs more status to be attracted mm -hmm. to her, yeah. or attractive to her. And he sees how much money people are throwing away at church. And he thinks to himself, I can get a, I can get a chunk of that. Mm -hmm. I see that in the heart of the man who is a leader at a big church and one day decides to start doing a church from home. Now, I get it. And again, I'm, I'm just going to speak direct. Come on, it, because it's true. I'm sure that this guy was told from God that he should have a church, but I'm also pretty sure he started to think to himself, with the amount of people at this church that think I'm a great guy, I could probably collect me a good 10, 20% of this off and play myself. <laughs> and now, no, that's a very unpopular thing to say, but to me, it's real. I grew up in church. I've seen it. The thing that I accept that a lot of, a lot of people who go to church don't, I accept that humans have corrupted this thing. So I expect to see human character in the, in the expressions of Christ. Fair enough. And I think the book of Clarence is doing that. So I identified with a guy who saw a way to get over by selling a church message to people that seemed gullible. So in that regard, I don't think it's blasphemous. I think James Samuels does a fair job. Now, we can get to the general commentary of can you take artistic license with scripture? Hmm. I, I don't think, I don't think, okay. Uh, hard point. Yeah. I don't think James Samuels is blasphemous because I don't think he's adding to the Bible. He's making a story adjacent to it using biblical characteristics, which is what preachers do when they preach. 
If a preacher takes a story from the Bible and then tells you something that happened in his life, he's not blasphemous. He's running a parallel. And we don't argue with sermons. I hear, I hear you. So I think the argument would be like, her, like can't go into biblical terms, but like hermeneutics, which is basically explaining um, historical context in modern day yep. vernacular so that we understand what the author's original intent was yep. when they wrote the passages and when they, when they wrote the story yep. for us to get the depiction, the real depiction. Yep. Like there's that, but the, the term blasphemy is, is it, it means profane. Like it's literally degraded disrespect. Uh, to, I don't think you did that. Right. Okay. But here, okay. So there's two, two trains of thoughts here. So you have, um, uh, there's many different uh, denominations, uh, which is pretty much uh, different expressions of Christian faith. Yep. You, so you have like, uh, you know, form Baptist, you have Presbyterian, yep. you have uh, many of those who they hold to the second commandment. Seriously. The second commandment is not creating any graven image out of anybody. Right. And falling down to worship them. Right. So, yep. so again, two trains of thought. So one train of thought is, there, there are those who are, you know, again, Reformed Baptists and Presbyterian and others who any form of depiction of God uh, or Jesus is blasphemous. Um, these are the type of churches that don't believe in crucifix. You'll never go to a church like that and see a crucifix. I agree, but they don't you, say that those who have crucifix are blasphemed. That's what yes, I'm talking no, about. No, no, they, they do. That's Some of them do, but that, that, no, that, that but, level but of- two, two, That's what I said, two trains of thought. Okay, that's, okay, okay, that's okay. That, so that, I haven't seen that level of military, because again, I, I grew up with an apostolic aunt. Right, right. I have not seen her even be as militant as she used to be in the 90s. Right. But, okay, so, the again, going back to, to like, that uh, denomination, you know, organization, like, they don't play with that at all. Sure, okay. So, even with Christmas plays and Easter plays, they, they don't but you know have the claim, But you know the claim of blasphemy is not just coming from those two churches. No, no, I, I know that. But that, <laughs> I'm just I guess I'm giving our listeners and, yeah. our, and our, our viewers just an understanding why somebody would consider this blasphemy. Consider blasphemy, right? Yep, yep, yep. Um, now, is he adding to scripture? Well, he's not writing scripture. So I can't Correct. say that he's adding to scripture. Correct. However, you got to understand, like, you understand, you want, you got to understand that I may, I may offend somebody with some, with this. Yep. So maybe let me, before I do this, let me let people know, Hey, this is just my artistic expression, but I don't think he was trying to do that. I think that he was being very, very creative with a story that he really wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's going to do it. He probably knows, okay, there's going to be a bunch of Christians who are going to be mad. They're going to call him blasphemous, whatever. They just need to watch the film mm-hmm. and I'll just take it as, as is. As opposed to saying like, I don't want to offend. Like there are certain people groups and certain organizations mm-hmm. and certain, you, you know, there's certain things that we know that we need to tread lightly on mm-hmm. when we, you know, have artistic expressions or even have a conversation mm-hmm. um, just so we know that we don't offend them. Mm-hmm. He was trying to do that. So that's why we would see the commentary. Again, am I going to paint, paint his, him as blasphemous from that point of view, from, you know, the second commandment? Then that would be considered blasphemous. But what do I expect from him? He's not a follower of Jesus. Now we're talking, so I want to transition to the 5% thing. Cool. I saw James Samuels give an interview to The Breakfast Club. Charlemagne and James talk about the film. And Charlemagne gives his, his reading on the film that his interpretation of the film is that God is in all of us, that we are all gods. Yeah. I can't remember how he specifically said it. Something like that, yeah. I did not get that reading on the film at all. But you told me that in, after seeing that interview, watching the movie, you think that's what he was trying to do. I, I, don't, think, I don't think he's trying to. I think that that was his, his expression. So that was in there. Um, I think that in the film where Clarence uh, sees Jesus for the first time, I yes. think that, that was a cool scene for him to see Jesus for the first time. Yes. And then him just like, everybody's flogging around him. Like this guy's a superstar. Yes. And he, he even had that conversation with his young disciple, um, you know, Elijah. And yep. Elijah's like, yo, I'd, I'd love to be like this guy in 10 years. Why? Because he's gaining attraction. You know, the whole, you know, city yep. knows him. And clearly people are just willing to give anything to this man. 
And Clarence looks at him and says, I want to be like that, that guy now. Why did he say that? Because he sees what Jesus has and believes that uh, the, the power and influence over people yep. is what's necessary in life. Um, and basically that interpretation is that Jesus has something that he doesn't. And so he goes on a quest to say, everybody's believing that this guy's the Messiah. And Clarence is a non-believer. That's what I loved about the film is because you clearly see from the beginning, he Clarence is not a believer. Correct. Clarence is the typical, I guess you would say, you know, urban youth yeah, who yeah, is, yeah. you know, going around smoking weed, which was very interesting how they depicted that in the film. <laughs> <laughs> smoking weed, selling weed, you know, and, you know, gambling and whatever. Yeah. Um, he doesn't believe that Jesus is a Messiah. Right. But what he realizes is that belief is is what keeps all of us oppressed. Mm -hmm. It's knowledge that frees us. Mm -hmm. And so he starts his own campaign of basically saying, I'm going to be the Messiah. He knows that he's being corrupt, but why is he doing that? Because he wants a, you know, a slice of the pie of the influence and the money that the Messiah is making, mm -hmm. but he wants to infuse his own message. And his message was knowledge. Knowledge is part of knowledge stronger is stronger than belief. All right. And so that's why going back to the, if you want to have the five, 5% five conversation, yep, yep. like that is a big proponent of their, their teachings. And so I don't think he's sliding it in there. I'm, I think he's just expressing it. So break down for the audience what the 5% nation is. 5% nation from based, uh, my basic point of view, because I, I can be fact-checked here, but um, there's a gentleman in the, uh, the, the era of Farrakhan. You have like the Nation of Islam and such. And this gentleman, he, he starts up this new uh, kind of teaching mm -hmm. um, out of the Nation of Islam. And he really believes that 85% uh, of the population is just... Uh, oh, sorry, let's start back. Um, black people. Black people are the called gods of the earth, right? Mm -hmm. So... Uh, all, all black man is God and we have God inside of us. That's mm -hmm. why they, they greet each other and say, peace be to God. Peace be to you God, know? yep. Um, and so all black people are gods. 85% of the black population is ignorant and lost. Mm -hmm. There's 10% of the population that is oppressing. And then there's the 5% and mm -hmm. the 5%, they know the truth. And their goal is to pretty much continue on this teaching to the 85% so that they don't live a life of being lost. Correct. And so um, walking around and believing that they are gods, uh, gods inside of them, uh, this is why, again, knowledge is better than belief. Mm -hmm. um, this is why uh, many of the teachings towards, uh, I guess you would say, uh, knowledge is important. So uh, needing to know their doctrine, their faith is important and not just a belief in a God that is out there, just understanding that you have the power within yourself. That is like the point of the faith. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm happy that you gave that, that breakdown because, and I'm happy that I don't disagree with you. A lot of people think that this is, a lot of people think that through the film, what Clarence sees is the God within himself. Mm -hmm. But Clarence through the film goes through a journey of believing in Jesus. And the only reason Clarence goes out on his own in the film is because he tries to join Jesus' disciples and they tell him no because they know he's not being genuine. Hmm. Is that, is that what you got though? Because... Because my read on it, okay. so, okay. So in the Bible, there's a character named Thomas. I'm spoiling the whole thing. Yeah. In the Bible, there's a character named Thomas. Thomas is one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Yes. The movie does a, I think, a very clever job. This was cool. Of, the Bible declares that Thomas has a twin. In the, in the movie, Clarence is Thomas's twin. Yes. Okay. So when Clarence is trying to join Jesus' 12 disciples, he's talking to his brother. What it gives is a beautiful breakdown of the two characters. Mm -hmm. You have Thomas, who's walking with Jesus, who's totally in faith, but has left his family. Yes. The idea is that you left your family to do that. I used to hear that all the time. Yep. You love your Bible more than you love your family. Mm -hmm. You love this more than you love that. You love blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And then Clarence is saying, how can you say you're more honorable than me for believing in Jesus when I'm the one doing the hard work of taking care of our mom? Mm -hmm. That is honor. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. And then that's the duality. I think that's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful set of duality. Okay. Okay. Thomas shows his selfishness because Thomas doesn't want his brother to be a disciple. Correct. Which to me comments to the elitism of Christians that they turn people away by thinking that this is such an exclusive club. You can't come. That's the reason why some people don't like going to church because of the cliques, Mm -hmm. which is what Thomas is doing. Okay. (laughs) Which is not a real depiction of every single church in North America or the world. Just no, no, no. Yeah. yeah. Amen. <laughs> okay. So I thought that what, clear, what, what I thought James was presenting in that moment is that by being holier than thou, you turn away somebody who's willing to learn. Mm-hmm. Because his motivation, now, because we always say, come as you are. Clarence's motivation is, man, if I don't pay off this debt, I'm going to die. I got to be a part of the disciples to get a bit of money. Mm-hmm. He does not have great motivations. Right. I'm not saying he has to have great motivations, but people don't need great motivations to come to church. Correct, but is the film depicting uh, Thomas wanting to be a disciple because he wants his life changed or because he wants something out Clarence, of it? Sorry, Clarence, sorry. Sorry, Clarence. Yeah. Look at it. The so, Bible is not depicting Clarence wanting to be a disciple because he wants his life changed. Mm-hmm. But, bruv, <laughs> let me tell you something. I've been, I've been in church my whole life. I don't think I've met 10% of people who are in church because they came to see their life change. I know guys who go to church to check for Gial. Mm-hmm. I know guys who go to church to get time off their prison sentence. I know guys who go to church because their mom is dragging them. You, you can't count, bruv, come okay. on. We can talk. It's you can't good. count it's 10% of the men you've met in church. And you're like, hey, why'd you come here? Man, I just really want to see my life change. Well, I think- It's a product of being in the environment, but nobody ever shows up for that reason. Okay, right? so this is a whole another podcast because then we have to get an understanding of the gospel and the gospel message. And that's why, again, if you're- No, believer, I think the gospel message is transformative. We're talking right. about the motivations of the individuals who walk through the door. Okay, fair enough. Okay, cool. So he comes, but originally in the movie, he has to pay off a debt and he also needs form of protection. Yeah. He hears about this Messiah who's clearly God. Yeah. And my, my brother was willing to, you know, my twin brother was willing to live our, leave our family for this guy. I need protection and I need like, I, I, I need money. I want, I I want a drip of money. Right. Yeah. So uh, I think originally when he came to the disciples say like, I want to be the 13th uh, apostle. Uh, he did say that for protection. They shunned him away because he even said that I, I'm, I'm, I, I believe I could be the 13th uh, apostle. Right. And they're, they're looking at him like, that's not how it works. And again, going back to the gospel message, because yep. if we go into, if we, I'll pull out the Bible. <laughs> I can't <to> preach. <laughs> I don't choose to be a disciple. Jesus chooses, chooses me. I agree. And so I think that part of the message, maybe even James Samuels didn't even know that he was communicating that, but that is a gospel truth. It isn't like, I'm going to show up and I'm going to do this. It's like, okay, so are you being pulled into this? I agree with everything you've just said. Gotcha. I agree agree with every single word you just said, right? Mm -hmm. And I agree with you. Mm -hmm. You can't come lead Mm -hmm. on day one. Right. But I'm also not, the alternative is not for me to tell you don't come. Correct. Which is- And too many churches, the alternative they say is fine, don't come. Mm -hmm. If you show up and say, I want to lead, I don't see too many people that say, hey, that's not how it works, but yo- Come chill with us here. Come mm. do this. Come right, do that. Right. There, there's no alternative. Mm. I'm hearing just no. Okay, I see your and understanding And I'm seeing now. the jokes of the, how could you even think? Yeah. And then those people turn bad yeah. or turn different. And then he says, see, I'm going to figure it out myself. I got a way to do this. I'll the do the amount myself. of people that don't go to church, it's not, they're not, there's, I don't meet too many neutral non-churchgoers. Mm. The people I know that don't go to church have been hurt. Church hurt's a real thing. Have been hurt, have thing. been betrayed. And I'm sorry. And they, and, they, and they have then turned to a place. Mm-hmm. Because again, the natural state of the human mind is to avoid pain. Mm. That's the natural state of the human mind. We just talked about, we just talked about 
so much of Christian life being suppression. That's not a natural state. No. But we also just talked about all the tools and all the, all the things that are necessary to try and combat your natural state. Mm. Um, the human nature is that humans are the only things that could try to fight their nature. Because mm. there's so many things about us that aren't natural, mm. right? The, okay. That being said, we can't be surprised at the amount of people that turn away from church and perhaps even aggressively in another direction if we are not careful with their pain. Absolutely. And I, for me, that's why when you, I, I can get the adjacent, but I think James Samuel, which is, and this is probably my own thing. I think people accidentally and all the time while trying to do one thing, just show that the, the, the gospel in terms of how I understand it Absolutely. is real. Yeah. Because maybe he is trying to do the 5% peace be to God, God is in all of us. But to me, I looked at that and I saw a real reflection of life. Yes. Which is the man is in debt. The man is in love. And the man is facing death if you don't let him in. Mm -hmm. Who cares what his motivations are? Mm -hmm. you, that is not a man you can let walk back out through the door. And if you do let him walk back out through the door, you can't criticize him for trying to get it how he's got to get it. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So that, that, that's why I did not read it as a 5% thing. I read this as a clear criticism or reflection of the modern church that turns away people. Okay. I would never, if a guy comes to me and says, I've had friends say that to me. Man, if I don't pay back this guy's $4,000, he has threatened to kill me. Mm -hmm. Too many churches will say, okay, come, let's pray. No, the church needs to come together and give this guy $4,000 so he can pay off the debt. Because if you just pray with this guy, he'll pray with you. But when he goes back outside, he's in a real world where this guy will kill me. So I'm either selling bricks or I'm killing him first. Mm, mm. And then we're going to be shocked when he's a murderer or a drug dealer. I don't agree with that. Correct. Because but, we did not help his real pain. Real pain, yes. But I think that, again, this is such a, this is a good conversation and so many good things you brought up. I think there is a misconception and uh, I can speak on somebody who is not only born and raised in church, but actually serve in a local church and understand the inner workings of an organization. Uh, many people have a, a lot of misconceptions of the gathering of the church and what the purposes of the church is for. Um, it, you know, it, it's not a, dare I say this, and I'm, I'm not here to step on, you know, toes or anything like that, sure. but it, it's not just an organization that I can dip into when I, when I have an issue. It's not like the Red Cross, I need blood, I'm going to grab blood, give me blood. Well, why and, not? Because that's not how it was created. That, that, okay, that, the, you're, the, you're saying why not though? Um, the I, church I think, from a point of fellowship for, for believers, right, yes. Right. For, but I'm saying the church operates in the world. What yes. do we expect people to see us as if not a place to come? Right. So the church's uh, job, number one, is to uphold the gospel yep. and to and adhere to the, the doctrines yep. and the, you know, the, the, the articles of the faith and such. Absolutely. Um, you have to look at the church as a body, as a family. Yep. And as a body, as a family, they desire to help and serve those in the community. Can yep. they, can they solve every community problem? Your local church that's on your street cannot serve, cannot, um, uh, provide every single problem. Like, uh, can, can I, if, uh, okay, financial, like you're saying financial, right? Yeah. Um, there, there are some big box. I got you, by the way. There, I don't know no, where this is going. No, I got you. I no. got <laughs> there, there's, some, there's some big box churches that can like turn around and see somebody who has like a, you know, in the States, you know, you have a huge med medical bill. They can turn around and be able to pay that off. Big box churches can. Yep. Yep. Your friendly neighborhood church across the street that has like 40 members. Yep. Can't do that. Okay, you ready? So your expectation walking into there is to say like, okay. I have a financial need. You need to solve it by this deadline that yep. I decided to come to you for. Yep. Um, and if you don't do it, then yep. you're not real. Jesus is not real. There's That's not, not necessarily 100% true. However, there is an amount of understanding. Like, I feel your pain. 
let me be invited into your pain and serve along with you in your pain. And guess what? You may have pain that may never be, be, uh, be dealt with yeah. and such as I, and this is why I'm here. See, and, and this is where, this is where, this, see, this is where we get to get radical. Yeah. 70% of the churches in North America that exist have enough money at their disposal that no one in their congregation should ever miss rent or a car payment. That's my personal belief. Because the churches that have the financial muscle are taking the money to build new buildings or taking the money to do outreach in other countries. See, this is where you and I have friends. We do this all the time. We love each other. So whatever. We'll and I'll say it again. Seventy percent of the churches in North America have enough financial muscle that not a single individual in the congregation should skip a mortgage or rent payment or miss a car note. But they are putting the money other places. I disagree. I don't think seventy percent of the churches do that. But I hear what you're saying. You think it's a higher percentage? Eighty. <laughs> There are a lot, trust me, I, again, somebody who serves in churches and, and there's, a lot, there's some churches who are struggling. Because I've been in some right? big churches. Right. With people that got some big problems. Right. Okay, that's cool. But as a non-for-profit organization and not a business, they don't have the freedom and liberty in CRA and here in Canada, have a liberty to write a check uh, to cover, you know, 50 members' mortgages every single month. Churches have long since lost the argument of the non-profit organization when they started to run like businesses. I disagree with churches' business. I don't, disagree, I don't disagree with you that church is not a business. <laughs> yeah, I disagree. But I disagree that churches are not running themselves like businesses. I would disagree. I, I think churches well, are putting okay. together a product okay, okay. and they're outsourcing Okay, when it. we say churches, when we, say, we have the to- The moment we, we started the satellite church phase we, was the day so, so, church became business. Because that means so, that some guy, some guy sitting way the heck out in the States mm, thought, you know what, what I'm saying is good enough mm, that it should go somewhere else. Mm, and instead of planting a new church and putting in a new leader and saying, hey, you got it from here, because that's what church planting is. Mm. He said, hey, take the, the video and audio stream from where I am mm. and let's see what happens. So, the moment T.D. Jakes went online, the moment Joel Olstein went online, the moment all these guys went online and said, hey, come look at me, blood, mm -hmm. and didn't end their sermon with, by the way, go to your local church as well, right. is the day this became a that's, business, blood. That's, because that's I'm coming out here for your, for your squad. But, but that's what the problem is. coming from market share. That's what that is. Okay, so but that's where the problem is. And that's why... And I get you because you're saying like, you know, we the church and when the church does this, not every church is representation of that. There is, there is Bible believing, God honoring, Holy Spirit filled churches who disagree with that method and that do, model. Do you remember, and I'm a part of that, right? Do you remember, because that is- You think you're a part of a church that doesn't treat like a business? Yes. <laughs> Are you serious? We, you don't we, think okay, you're a part of a church that treats okay, like a okay, business? Okay, so definition of business, it sells, sells commodity, right? What commodity does the church sell? To gain a profit. You sell your culture. We don't sell a culture. Bro, bro you, guys have a, you guys have a name called <laughs> That's a culture beacon to <laughs> entice people to come. Who do we sell it to? We don't sell it to anybody. Bro, newcomers to Canada are looking for church. That's a business. No, it's not. Are you kidding me? That's not. What? Because you literally have a church that is designed to attract a certain type of member. It's not supposed to be designed that way. But it, is. <laughs> but it it's is. But it is. It's going to get me in trouble. But it is. It's going to get me in trouble. Okay, no, so we, right. I'll give you a final cut. Okay. We can edit out anything that you need edited out. <laughs> but it is, brother. It's just, I can admit it. I went to churches that attracted a certain type of member. Okay. That's business. Hillsong. Hillsong attracts a certain type of member, which is why they put a certain type of people on stage all of the time. Which is why they have to wear a certain type of clothing all of the time. If That's you wanna, business. Bro, if you want to go there, we can go there. But what I'm saying is that- The old church basement church that we grew up in is, ex it, bro, it's extinct. It's not extinct. Well, I hear what you're saying. Like, or, dying, and if right? they're not extinct, they're on life support. Right. Bro. And so again- I heard a guy one time tell me, if this pastor was praying to God, why isn't his church bigger? The even populace of Christians are losing their mind. Right. Okay. So- They only recognize the big churches because they think that means that God is blessing you. So I, I love that you brought up all of this. Reason being is because a lot of things that you say are common misconceptions of the church.
Okay, so what it can be a misconception if everyone conceives it. That doesn't mean there's a mis. That it's not a misconception if believe- everybody concepts it that way. If, if I'm a pastor and I know that eighty percent of these people aren't looking at this the way I expect them to look at it, but I don't change it, I've turned a misconception into the conception. But if fifty, because I'm allowing the ignorance to prevail. If fifty people believe a lie, doesn't mean that it's true. If nobody tries to tell them the truth, yes, it does. Okay, so look this, at the so presidency <laughs> of the, you know. I tell you, yo, we literally live in a world where lies are, are more stronger than truth okay. when nobody talks about the okay, lies. Okay, so let's go back to one of your comments that you made. Yeah, um, yeah and yeah. the comment was uh, about somebody who's saying, "If this guy is really praying, how come his church is not bigger?" Yes, the misconception is is that a church is supposed to grow and enlarge like a business and multiply into maximum size yep. and burst out of the seams yep. and buy another building yep. that's, you know, $10 million bigger. And then, and then supersede that. Who that's a misconception. put that out there? Did the world make the church feel like they had to buy a new building? Or did the church come to us and say, Is as it, part of our growth, we're but, buying a new But building. here's my argument. My my argument. argument. Come on. <laughs> I you love have to this admit, You have to admit. I have to admit that they are individuals. There. The church okay. went out there with business targets and sold it to the people. Is it the church or is it individuals like you, like we mentioned probably about half an hour ago? Yeah who are part of humanity, yep. who taint yep. the purity yep. of the church and the gospel yep. and lead people astray. And the church leadership is horizontal. Somebody should tell that pastor to stop talking like that. You don't think that doesn't happen? I don't know. A lot of new church people getting built up. The church, the, church I, the church I was raised in is gone now. Okay. <laughs> you get me, blood? It's right. gone now and it's still there, blood, if you right. know what I'm talking right. about, blood. Right. But that doesn't mean that believers- Cutting deals with the, cutting deals with the government, bruv. And that- That's a business. But that's not a representation of God's church. But then, I, then why are there's so many churches operating that way? There's, there's a lot of corruption. But, but, so the answer that we're going to give is... So then, no, no, but... So going back to true gospel truth, right? Which is why I think James Samuel's movie needed to have been watched by more people. <laughs> because movies like this call us into looking at both our own hypocrisy, our own structures, and it brings us into... The conversation has to be public. Because for us to be talking yeah. about this much deep-seated corruption... Mm. In what is probably the biggest and most known Christian churches, right. terrifying. So, but this is, this was depicted in a movie in an artistic way, but this is exactly what happened in Jesus' day. He even said, mm-hmm. many will come out and say that I am the Messiah. Many will come out and say, which yeah. is why I love the book of um, Clarence, because that's scripture right there. Right. Okay. So, so <laughs> if Jesus is telling people, okay, listen, there's going to be people who are going to say that they are me. Sure. I am not them sure. do not listen to them as a matter of fact paul had to tell timothy listen you have to deal with the false teachers that are in your region because what it does is that it poisons the purity of the church yes. the purity of the gospel yes. and it leads this misconception and so those who are quote-unquote corrupt doesn't mean that the church is corrupt yes. it means that we have human beings who uh are number one are sent there as false teachers and yes. false prophets yes. to lead people astray to believe in something that actually isn't true or give them you know 10% truth and 90% lie or 90% truth and and 10% lie yes. which is 100% truth yes. this is the reason why we need to address those issues because yes. it makes the purity of the church look wrong yes. this is why when uh, uh believers online Christians online are in comment sections going off and acting you know a crazy way it makes me look bad because mm. i have the label christian mm-hmm. and people say you're just like him but that's just prejudice right mm-hmm. it's the same thing that we hate when the media does this we hate when a racist person does this oh like i don't like you know hey black people in my community you black people always steal mm-hmm. like okay mm-hmm. all right so you saw four black people that stole so that means that the fifth black person is a thief too no so we need to address the issues that are corrupting the purity of the church mm-hmm. because at the end of the day that's what jesus gave to um, this is, this is what God gave the gospel to God. Cause he used any institution in the world, but mm. he used the church 
to get his message out. Mm-hmm. And so coming back full circle is that, yes, there are misconceptions, but that does not mean that it represents the whole entire church. I mean, look, the power, the power of the Christian message is insofar as with everything we've described, it's probably one of the most disorganized, dysfunctional, monolithic messages permeating the earth. And it's probably one of the most received, right? Like, there, I don't think there's any consort. I don't think there is a unique consorted effort to expand the gospel. I think every church is just doing their own thing. And yet the gospel is getting out there. That, to me, speaks the truth of the, of the message itself. And I'm a quote collector and a quote that I collected a while ago, which is that God, you know, hammers, uh, nails, uh, nails with, with rusty hammers, Yeah, you know? And so uh, those who are not in 100% purity and he understands humanity, yeah. this is where his grace and his mercy come into play. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, his, his gospel is going forth. Yeah. Because would you say that more people are familiar with Bible stories than are familiar with passages in the Quran? Actually, can you fact check this? Is this something we can Google? Does, do more people know parts of the Bible than know parts of the Quran? Uh, it depends on what culture you're asking, right? Well, that's what I'm saying globally. Because so, I know like, I've seen the Middle East. That, I mean, I, first of all, there's a lot of misconceptions about the nation of Islam as well. Yes. In, in terms of how absolutely. practice, right? There's of everything. I'd be curious to know which one per capita had the largest numbers right now. Largest numbers of followers? Yeah. That'd be Christians. Christians for sure? Yeah. There's uh, 1.2 or 2 point something billion Christians worldwide, right? And Two billion, so, okay. Right. But again, that's- And there's not that many Muslims? That, are you sure? That's the label. Like, it, I think Muslim second, right? Okay. Um, but again, that's the title Christian. You know, there are many people who walk around who call themselves Christian because their grandma goes to church, right? But my point is that like, but that can be used. As much as that was, as much as that's, we're like, oh man- that is still, a, that's usable. If we're willing to heed the warning of a movie like the Book of Clarence that says, look, regardless of the motivations, we got to get him in here and t- start teaching. Who in here? Anyone. Okay. But Anyone. Is, that, is that what the director wanted? That's the question. Because I, I don't think. So I, you think the director was trying to teach us that God is enough. So, okay. So specifically, there's, there's even a scene at the end where James Samuels talks very clearly was, very clearly loving to talk about the Roman occupation component of it. Oh, yeah. He deliberately made all the Romans white. Yeah. Which they were. I'm not, I'm not suggesting yeah. Italians aren't no. of a lighter complexion. Um, at least traditionally. I know there's black Italians. Mm-hmm. So many things that I'm saying, <laughs> politically correctize me, please. Okay. So he was talking about occupation. There's a scene where the mom screams out, they always take our children. Like he, yes. there's, there's a couple of lines that he's throwing in there where he's yes. talking a greater commentary on policing. On, right? Yeah. So James Samuels, I feel like his heart is to show Nubian people that you had a part in this story. Don't see these characters as whimsical and not like yourself. When mm-hmm. you read the Bible, see the characters and their life and their plight. See it through your own lens because it, it could be you as well. Yes. I still don't think that that's a God is in all of us argument. I think that's more so a identity argument. I think, yeah, okay, identity. I would, I would give you that. Again, as a director and an artist and their artist expression, it's like, okay, this is what I want yeah. to, this is what I want to do to paint the picture. Because again, like the canvas is mine and paintbrush is mine. Yeah. So I want it to look this way. Yeah. Now, I think that that's what his heart was. I don't think he, I don't think he had the, the heart to spread a gospel message about who Jesus was because I don't believe he is a follower of Jesus. I think that he used a, you know, the most influential person in the world is Jesus Christ, yeah. right? Yeah. Let me take the story of Jesus Christ that I know of. Yeah. Let me do some research yeah. and let me paint a picture the way that I want to as an artist. Yeah. I believe that's what he did. 
um, can, and this is why I start off by saying, if you're a Christian, you go and watch the movie, you're going to be like, what is this? This is offensive. This is not right. This is not, you know, Elijah wasn't really this person and Pontius Pilate didn't like, you're going to be asking questions, but he's using figures that people know. And he's retelling a story just like, but it's going to cause an uproar and rightfully so like, Hey, you don't want to hear the word blasphemy. You may should have put a, la- a label or had some conversations with other Christians before mm. you did this, just like everybody else in Hollywood does or anybody else in media. Mm. They know they don't want to step on toes. They want to express art. I don't think that was his goal. His goal is I'm expressing art. I know I'm going to get heat. Who cares? That's fine. Let me just do it and go with it. Mm. Cause the message, the, the message I believe was portrayed is that, you know, we need enlightenment. And I think it was said a few times as actual lines, like, actual lines from the script. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the problem is like, we need to be enlightened. Mm-hmm. Like that's the language of the five percenters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he mocked those who believed. That's what non-believers do. Non-believers mock people who live their life by faith. Um, he saw the corruption or he saw an opportunity to, to scam others. And he utilized that for himself and corrupted the message of what a Messiah is and led some people to follow him, which is actually what happens. So we see all of these artistic expressions, but I think at the end of the day, I don't think his, his goal was gospel truth or to uh, maybe clearly represent Jesus. Cause if mm. he did, I think that there would be a lot more details put in uh, into playing the movie. I think that even, you know, post credits and uh, maybe even post uh, or even on his media run, he'd be able to say, Hey, listen, uh, there's, there's a few things about the Bible. You don't know. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. mean, yes, Thomas, even the word Thomas, the word Thomas, uh, you know, in the, I think it's the uh, Aramaic uh, rendition is, is a twin. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know. Nobody knows if he is actually a twin. We mm-hmm. just know mm-hmm. that his name means twin. Mm-hmm. So he took that and said, you know what? Let's create Thomas and Thomas will be a twin. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with that because that's actually sort of true. But again, you have to yeah. have some artistic liberty. Do you have artistic liberty? Sure. No problem. If you're following Jesus and you create somebody to look like Jesus, just know that that's blasphemous. If you're a non-believer, I, I expect nothing less from you. Hmm. I mean, these conversations could go could go for ages. They could go for right. hours. We, we we could do this for years. I have no doubt that um, there will be something else that happens throughout the course of this year that will that will call for one of these one of these conversations debates. And I, hopefully, you'd love to come back. I, I'm, I'm here, man. It. I'm here. Um, if you had one, I mean, we usually end this podcast so t- way differently, but I think I think for this conversation, um. I'll go a different way. If I was to put it in your hand and say, if you had maybe three things that you would love to see um, church or Christian culture embrace that they have yet to embrace, what would you say those three things or, or even master something that they do that you'd like to see them do better? Um, master excellence. Excellence. Okay. Excellence in expression. Uh, I would love to see, the, the church should be a true intergenerational church because okay. many churches say we're intergenerational. Yep. Um, and what I mean by that is that there are a lot of churches that are older uh, or most churches that most people know of. It's like, it's a lot of seniors yep. um, and there's very few youth and young adults. And yep. so therefore the expression is more lenient towards like those of the older congregation, as opposed to understanding that, Hey, there's 15 year olds who are there. Um, again, going back to my story, yep. man, if I, if, if it was really palatable at that time when I was, 11 when I gave my life to the Lord or 15 when I was, you know, trying to figure out myself, yeah. um, I would be, you know, light years, light years ahead. Right. Um, three is the emphasis on discipleship and the gospel. I think that is the, the key. I think that the smoke and mirrors or the um, trying to outdo each other or trying to be like the church next door um, distracts from the truth of the gospel yeah. um, and true discipleship of being able to not just have somebody come in and, and like the music or like the speaker, yeah. but come in and fall in love with Jesus. So 
Those are my three. Okay. Well, Steph, thank you so much for joining the conversation. This is a lot of fun. A lot of fun. I I have no doubt that we're going to find a way uh, to do this one again. Again, guys, if you like content like this, uh, please like, comment, and subscribe to this channel, as well as look at some of our other videos. Uh, My name is Travel. This has been Unlinear, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.